Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. This is Kevin and joining me, I've got Sarah. Hey, everyone. Darren. Hey. And today we've got a special guest with us, Eric Munson. Hello. So Eric and I have known each other for a couple years now, at least. Um, he's shaking his head no on this audio. This is a COVID friendship. This is a COVID friendship. Yeah. Okay. But we've like, I've known you for, for longer than COVID. Yeah. So, um, we were moderators of a, of a group on Facebook together. Um, and just kind of through some hardships, some, some stuff that was going on internally in the group. Uh, we created this, this sort of friendship out of that. And, uh, I would honestly consider him one of my best friends now. And it's, Honestly, it's an honor and and privilege to have him on the podcast today. So uh, part of what we've been talking about this month is uh, gender and inclusivity in the church, um, looking at the ways that uh, the church has included and usually actually excluded um, really just gender in general, anything that, that goes away from the norm. And part of the reason why we asked Eric to be on the podcast today is because he, a lot like me, has gone on this journey from being uh, very much in the conservative, um, fundamentalist, women don't belong in the pulpit, only men uh, camp. And I've gotten to see, like I said, over the last couple of years, this journey of from that fundamentalism, almost just like myself, to the more accepting and affirming camp. Um, so to start the conversation off, Eric, let tell us a little bit about um, your background, how you grew up, what your start in ministry was, kind of what molded um, those thoughts that only a man is allowed in the pulpit. Well, first of all, I am honored to be with you guys tonight. Um, and uh, I, you've actually only seen part of my transformation even because mm-hmm. I was yeah. kind of mid midway uh, when, uh, when we really got connected there. Um, I, I did not grow up in church at all. Um, I, uh, I, I began following Christ when I was 16 years old. Um, and at that time, you know, up and down or, or whatever, not really serious about it. Um, about, you know, three years into college, I started uh, leading worship at a campus ministry, um, and it was the Baptist Student Union. Uh, we called it Crosswalk at our at our campus. Um, and uh, I just got started getting involved with that and getting, leading worship and uh, decided, you know, into my music degree that I actually wanted to be a worship leader and not actually teach in a classroom. Um, so I pursued that and I ended up be, being uh, hired on staff at a an independent Baptist church. Um and uh kind of in the country as well and um you know i was i was on staff there for nine years nine and a half years and you know very much fundamentalist uh conservative however you want to word it um where you know when we at one point when we were hiring a a new youth pastor we were of course only looking at men and um not only that, some of those on the search team um, decided that it had to be a married man because we couldn't have a single man around our teenage girls. 
No, of course not. Yes. And that was from one of the mothers of teen boys and girls in the, in the youth group who decided that. Um, and that just gives kind of an idea of, of where this church was, how they felt about things. Um, and, you know, that's just, that's what I always knew. You know, I, I, I'd always kind of been in, in those more Baptist circles, even though they were more, you know, non-denominational churches. Um, at that time, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, non-denominational just meant Baptist, but we weren't actually going to put the word Baptist on our sign. It still does. <laughs> I've I've come to realize though that there are more Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches that are non-denominational as well. So, um, and many Methodist churches that are just dropping that Methodist and UMC right off the sign. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something we probably get in later in this. Um, <laughs> we will. We will. <laughs> um, so starting through that, you know, and and that was really all I ever knew. Um, you know, my. My wife also grew up in, she was military, grew up military, um, and was always in Baptist churches and such like that. Um, so she even had a more of a complementarian view of, of theology because she grew up in it from an early age. I kind of just kind of fell into it, you know? Um, so I've always, as far as that's concerned about, you know, women not being, not being in the pulpit and, and, and stuff like that, I, I knew that as something that was quote right, but I never necessarily thought about how much I believed it. It was just something that I kind of took on because that's the people, the people who are around me, that's what they thought. So I was like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, that, that, that women could teach uh, children and other women, but not men. Um, When I started getting involved more with Facebook groups and um, just kind of starting to to venture out and to meet people who had different viewpoints from what I had been used to. Um, you know, I started to to realize, you know, how much of a dichotomy there was in the church world with this because I really didn't even know that there was, you know, a whole different theology that thought differently about things. You know, um, and uh, you know, one of our uh, Church Leaders Roundtable uh, admins, Tandy, was the first real strong female pastor uh, presence that I knew, you know, and we um, we began, uh, you know, a friendship uh, to the point where we even spent, you know, a full week of debauchery in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and we can talk about that later, too, if we want to. Um, but, uh, you know, just through that relationship and and everything I started to really see it started with this this egalitarian complementarian uh change in me of of where I never really thought about it before it was just something that it was there and now I actually started to think about it I was like well yeah why why are we so strong against women there I mean yeah women were the first ones to preach about Jesus right so like you know and and so that really started the wheels going for me um, and, uh, so I would say that was, I don't know, probably seven years into my nine years at that church, um, that I really started thinking about things like that. And, um, as over those next two and a half years, while I was on a job search, you know, that was a part-time position. I was trying to go to a full-time position. And, um, over those next few years where I'm doing that, I'm like, I'm realizing more and more, like how much I don't really agree with a lot of the things that we were doing. 
at that, at that church. Um, culminating, well, not culminating, but one of the strongest memories that I still have of that, because I've tried to forget a lot of the stuff from there, um, is, was when, um, I was, I was always one of the youth leaders as well. I was not the youth pastor, but I was, you know, always part of the youth. And, uh, we'd had one of our recent graduates be a part of, of the youth as well. And, um, she began posting a lot on social media about her advocacy for, um, for LPG, excuse me, LGBTQ. <laughs> um, actually at that time, at that time, it was probably just LGBT. We hadn't yes. even added the cues in there yet, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and um, to the point where it was a big thing where we had to, quote, had to ask her to step away from being participating in the youth group um, mm-hmm. because we didn't want her ideals trickling their way into the young minds of the church. Oh, of course. Of course. And I'll admit that that felt wrong to me at the time, Mm. but I did not say anything. Um, You know, I hadn't, I was, I was not really even on that part of my journey yet, but I didn't say anything. Um, In many ways, I, I, thinking back on it, I believe it was because I feared for my job to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was part-time. I did not realize at that time how irreplaceable I was because they did not have anybody else to lead the music at that time. Um, but um, I felt like I, I had to, to, to keep my job. You know, I couldn't put my, my livelihood in jeopardy for that. Um, and so I just allowed it to happen. I'm and yeah. how, how do you know how, how she sat with it or how she felt about it at all? <laughs> It actually caused her to walk away completely from the church, and um, she actually had a mental breakdown not too many years later. Um, she has gotten better, um, and I actually just recently had a conversation with her, basically apologizing for that situation. That you know that you know she probably didn't even think about it anymore, but um, I just felt the need to to reach out to her and just apologize for not having her back in any way, shape, or form at that time, even though I knew it was wrong. I didn't yet know why I felt it was wrong even. Um, but that really started me thinking more and more about that. Um, and then when, t- when the time came that I actually stepped away from that church, I, for the next nine months, served in 22 different churches, um, sometimes leading worship, sometimes playing either bass, keys, guitar, singing backup, sometimes running sound, right. um, just kind of whatever was needed, traveling all over the place. Um, that was a really, really cool time in my life. It was really hard to not really be able to you know, worship with my family because uh, I was traveling so much. We weren't going to take the kids everywhere with us too, but, um, but it was really cool just seeing how different churches did stuff. You know, and and not even in regards to this, but just just how they did worship, yeah. you know, in in one way or another, um, how they even something as simple as how they set up their technology in the room, you know, it was it was just kind of nice to see something different than I had seen for the last nine and a half years. Um, and then at the end of that, I um I came to well, 
uh, Andy dragged me to uh, apply for the worship leader position at my current church, um, which is a, a United Methodist church. And, um, you know, I was leading worship at our contemporary campus, our YMCA campus for a year and a half when the youth pastor position, the full-time youth pastor position opened up and I um, decided to, you know, work into, into that role instead. And I've been doing that now for another year and a half, almost two years now. Um, and that was certainly easier for me to work through this stuff because I did not have a constant, um, you know, that's blasphemy type, you know, mentality all around me all the time. Now, my church is not affirming. The leadership is very much non-affirming. Um, the congregation, I would believe, we haven't actually done a poll or anything like that, which we're going to have to do soon whenever we have another annual or general conference. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they already canceled this year. So um, if I were to guess, my my guess would be that we are pretty down the middle as far as the congregation members, where they are, as far as affirming and non-affirming. Um, but, you know, the, the complementarian thing has not been an issue here at all. You know, that's something the UMC has always been, um, well, maybe not always, but for quite some time anyway, that's not been an, an issue at all for them. Um, but I've had, go ahead. I was going to say, before we go too far, I do want to like just break out what some of those words mean, yeah. like like affirmation or complementarianism and if you know if you have a definition or anyone else on the call we can we can do that but i think it'd be helpful to just spell that out okay uh, when i talk about complementarian or egalitarian um i am referring to a complementarian view uh they'll say <laughs> that it means that men and women have different roles within the context of ministry. What it really means is that women are not allowed to participate in the teaching of men 16 or older, usually sometimes 18 or older. Specific. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it depends on the church. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are like, you know, we can't find a guy to do the youth. So yeah, she can do that. (laughs) Um, Different complementarian churches will also view the, the leading of musical worship differently as well. Sometimes they'll, some of them see that as a teaching position, and so it can only be men. And some of them will see it as not a teaching position, so they won't. Uh, so they're okay with 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 women being in there if if uh, if necessary, you know. But they'd rather have a guy in there. Um, egalitarian um, usually sees men and women as as equal partners in in all aspects of ministry. You know that that your gender does not have anything to do with your ability to do any role within ministry. Um, at least that's my understanding. That's not a you know it's dictionary perfect. definition by any means. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a working definition. That's what it is a working saying. definition for sure. Oh, that's that's pretty well put. <laughs> okay. Um, as far as affirmation. This is where I am still working through things. Um, I firmly believe that the church has gotten it wrong. And I mean, the big church has gotten it wrong as far as how we um, approach, you know, anything different than what, what, quote, the Bible says is normal, um, which it doesn't. 
but uh, <laughs> um, I personally, for whatever reason, and maybe maybe we can even work through this tonight because, um, you know, I, 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 oh, you're gonna have to do some editing here. Um, <laughs> I am not sure why I feel like I can not 100% give myself over to an affirmation position. And I, I really don't know why it bothers me. It really does. Cause I should just be like, yes, it is, but I don't know why. And I think part of it may be that I'm currently in my one year Bible reading plan. I am going through, uh, well now I'm in Joshua, but I just got through the Pentateuch, which mm-hmm. seems to talk about this stuff a lot. And I, and I understand that that's a translation issue in many, mm-hmm. many respects. Um, but that's the type of thing that I just, I have not, I have no formal Bible education. So I have not gone into um, Greek, Hebrew and, and, and everything like that to, to understand original text mm-hmm. and how I do understand that the people who translated the Bible have their own biases built in. Mm-hmm. Um I would have liked to believe that in 2021, um, somebody would have had the chutzpah to not, oh, see, and now, see, things like that, I never would have even considered potentially being problematic that I say out loud before. But now I'm thinking it and I'm hearing myself say that. I'm like, is that okay for me to say? I'm not Jewish, you know, like, (laughs) but, um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, that, um, I would have liked to believe that somebody would have had the, the guts to, to actually translate things accurately. But I know that we still have all these biases in our way. Um, and, and that has been something over the last couple of years that is really, you know, it all started with that that complementarian thing for me. But over these last year, a couple of years with, you know, social justice and stuff like that, where I am trying to get out of my own way to really see how other people and how their experiences and their viewpoints differ from my own. Because I am a middle-aged, white, straight, middle-class man in America. I have every privilege. I could possibly have outside of, you know, having a ton of money or something like that. But, but I have every basic privilege and that has been to my detriment. I, I have not seen a lot of the other stuff, you know, and um, trying to see things from a, you know, it started with the complementarian things, trying to see things from a woman's perspective of how they have been treated historically in the church and in life. Um, and that has translated into uh, how I trying to understand um, racial contexts and, um, and, and, and uh, gender contexts, um, gender beyond male, female, you know, and, and, and um, sexual orientation contexts and, and everything like that, that, that I've never had to experience. I have no experience with that. So I have no right to talk, to speak into it, at least until I try and work through things and, and, and talk to people who 
have had those experiences and learn from them. Um, you know, that has been my journey through these last few years. And I don't know why this one last little hump is bothering me. <laughs> but I, it's a, it's maybe it's, it's because it's the last one. Maybe because it's the last one, you know, it's like, it's not, but uh, (laughs) there's there's more. There is more. It's really just the initiation. There's a whole agenda after that, but we'll get to that later episode. But if we go back for a second, I I think it really is important that you talk about, um, about your move from complementarianism to egalitarianism, Mm -hmm. because for many people in this day and time, it's not as big an issue or it was, wasn't as big a hump. But mm-hmm. when we look at the history of all of these justice movements, a lot of it came from women mm-hmm. pursuing equality mm-hmm. and the work that it took for people to wrap their minds around that, whether it's about policy and voting or whether it's about who can preach or lead Sunday school, that set the stage for people to ask is what I'm reading in the Bible being applied correctly in this situation? So, so I'm curious, like, did what you see in the Bible change? Did you stop believing in the Bible, as some people will accuse? Or what happened that you saw what the Bible or what you were taught or, you know, what was happening when people say, well, the Bible says this about women. What changed for you? Do you remember? Having not grown up in the church... I started at, you know, 16 to 18 to 20, even um, learning my Bible through like Sunday school Bible stories, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even some veggie tales. Yes, Phil Vischer. And so I only got those very surface level um studies in you know i did not do any type of deep dives ever you know i didn't i didn't listen to people who went deeper even mm-hmm. than than those surface level stories um you know uh, i had never heard anything about you know uh, david being problematic in his pursuit of bathsheba you know like It was the Sunday schools that I knew, and um, and and to be perfectly honest, it was because I didn't have the not the desire, but I didn't have the drive to go any deeper than that to study things for myself at all. Um, And to be honest, that has a lot to do with many things that are going on in this country and other countries all over the place is that we just listen to what other people say and don't think for ourselves and don't look into things for ourselves. Um, and I was completely guilty of that, completely guilty of that. Um, I was too. And, and so, and I was also only listening to these people who all thought the same way. You know, I was listening to only these, these very conservative, essentially Baptist pastors, preachers who, who, would say the same things. I'm like, well, if everybody's saying the same thing, it must be true. Right. Must be true. You know? Um, and so once I started 
or once I stopped being lazy about it and I actually, you know, cracked the book open myself and started reading through some <laughs> of this stuff. Um, imagine. imagine that, um, you know, I started to see that, that the way that I had been told that that story occurred glossed over some very important parts mm. at times. Um, you know, and I don't have any specific instances off the top of we my head right now, but, today. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like really just digging into that myself yeah. and then, and then changing, not changing, but, but expanding um, who I let speak into me at that time as well uh, allowed me, you know, would point me to some of these different places as well. So, yeah. So, so I'm hearing, I'm hearing part of it was your context, the people you were around, the places you were in taught you a certain way. Um, but then I'm also hearing a part where you did, uh, I guess, some, some deeper searching, some, some asking questions. Yeah. Did it, did it ever feel, did it ever feel like you were going to get it wrong or like you were going to risk missing heaven or something like that when you started to, to listen to women? I still think I'm going to get it wrong. Like I still do. Like I, 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 mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I will ever get to a place where I feel that anything is so concrete. Well, maybe not anything. There are a few things that are concrete, but um, where most things are just not concrete and that I, you know, I still question things and I, I think it's good to question things now. Absolutely. That's, that's part that's part of what I've experienced with fundamentalism is that they, they teach you not to question anything mm -hmm. so that you don't question anything and you just take things as they're told to. You're backsliding. Or yeah. Yeah. Um, losing your faith, whatever right. they say now. <laughs> now I will say that I, I never personally felt like I was losing heaven or in danger of losing heaven or anything like that. Um, and now that I'm thinking about it, part of that may be because when you are in um, certain conservative circles, you can't lose heaven. You just never had it in the first place. Oh, that hmm. I mean, that theology. Yes. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that until just this moment when you asked me that question. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, that's a good point to bring up. Yeah. So I've never, I've never really thought about it that way, but, but yeah, you can't lose your salvation in those circles. You just never had it to start with, right. never really had it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I'll, yeah. I do want to say, as far as questioning goes, I mean, I'm a huge av advocate for people questioning literally everything. Um, and just this last weekend, I, I got to preach in front of the whole church. I got to preach the main message. And in Matthew 11, we see John the Baptist question Jesus. And he specifically says, are you really the Savior? Are you the one we have been waiting for, or should we wait for another and Jesus responds to him, basically, these are the signs that I have done that you have preached. You have to decide for yourself. And then turns to the crowd and says, hey, listen to, the, to John the Baptist because he's a really great dude and he's a prophet and he is speaking God's word. And we, we miss those passages a lot where Jesus affirms the people who are questioning and the apostles affirm the people who are questioning. Um, 
and I've said it in this podcast before too, that I think God doesn't really care about specifically where we're at. I think God more than anything cares about the fact that we know we don't know everything and that we're trying to be better. We're trying to learn more. We're trying to grow more. I, I, I forget the name of it, but there's, there's like a learning curve paradox that says when you don't know anything at all about a subject, you know you don't know anything. But then you learn a little bit and you learn just enough that you think you're an expert on the subject when really you still don't really actually know anything. That's why so many worship leaders know four chords and have a capo. <laughs> Absolutely. Eric's just coming against everybody today. Yes. Uh, and I am there here for it. People <laughs> hey, are under buses right now. I was that guy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I never understood that guy. So I, yeah. <laughs> Um, I did, I did want to ask Eric just, um, I, I, I would say on a personal level, but like this whole thing's about you right now. So it's all on a personal level. Um, but what is, what is that dynamic like being at a, you mentioned that your leadership is complementarian or Maybe not complementarian, but non-affirming. Not complementarian. They are non-affirming. There you go. Thank you. So what what is it like being in this space where your leadership is non-affirming and you, at the very least, you're seeking that out? You're you're trying to understand more. What it, What is that like? Well, first of all, I think part of my hesitation in going all in is knowing that the leadership above me wouldn't have my back with that. Um, a good portion now that of said, the, of the church wouldn't of the Methodist Church wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I will say I I do express that a little bit more with my students, but um, it's tough. You know, I, I'm even though I am in a full time position and. You know, it's it's UMC, so pastors are are itinerant and and can be moved and everything like that. Um, my position is not. I'm not actually an ordained pastor. Um, I my, my official title is youth ministries lay pastor, so yeah, that they can have a pastor title in a Methodist church. Yeah, I was a little surprised. Um, now we won't point out the fact that. I'm the first man that has been over the youth ministries in about 15 years. And it's the first one that was called pastor. Um, yeah, we'll gloss right over that. Know, we'll just gloss right over that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, where was I going? Uh, talking about um, being affirming even a little bit in a non-affirming uh Yeah, but I'm trying to remember where I was going with it. Oh, um, so even though I am full-time and and I am not itinerant, you know, I am hired by that specific church, um, getting in conversations with my my pastors um, where they openly and blatantly um, will talk about the gay agenda and um you know how 
how damaging it is for um for the Methodist Church. And um I wish we could just break off already so that we can, you know, do our own thing without having to worry about anything else. You know, hearing them talk about that and not having the conf- confidence isn't the right word, not feeling the security to be able to speak up in that moment um, is hard as I'll get out for me because as you guys know from who I am in Facebook groups, I call people out constantly. Um, and I don't even think that that's a keyboard warrior thing. I think that that is more, it might have a little bit to do with that, but I think it's more of that those people don't have any power over me, even if we were face to face, you know? Um, and you know, I even, I've, I've spoken, you know, I have, we have a senior pastor and an associate pastor. Um, associate pastor is over the YMCA campus, our, our contemporary campus. Um, and he is black and is working, has been working hard to make that campus multicultural. Um, and by multicultural, I actually mean bicultural because he's not doing any work to get to the Latino population in our area at all. Um, (laughs) But uh, Eric's just bringing up all these conversations tonight. I have like several follow-up recordings. Um, That that actually, that concept of... We're all legal, so you know. We we, we can brush brush them aside. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Um, Kidding, folks. Kidding. That idea there... Um, was something that I had never even considered until a couple of years ago. And, um, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting her name. She sings with, with, uh, with Paul Belosh all the time. Oh, for our younger listeners, Paul Belosh. Oh, I am going to smack you. She wrote a lot of the songs that you worship to nowadays that are being sung by younger, hipper, cooler people than Paul Belosh himself. I don't know where that palm tree just grew up from, but suddenly I am in the shade and I am shaded by... <laughs> I love Paul Belosh. Nikki Lerner. <laughs> yes, okay. Great. I, it was a concept that got brought up to me by Nikki Lerner at a worship conference a couple of years ago um, that there's a difference between multicultural and bicultural and monocultural that's not white and um just uh yeah so that that was a concept that i hadn't even considered and and um and actively went after uh trying to find that kind of information by stepping into her her breakout session um because that that associate pastor was wanting to go more multicultural um at least he said and it's really by cultural but yeah um but my senior pastor is is blatantly a white country boy um and says some incredibly passive aggressive racist things on a regular basis and sometimes i wish my associate pastor would speak up to him and he won't speak up to him either Mm. not even not even on racial things Mm. And I don't understand that. 
Um, I also feel like even if I was in a position where I could speak up and not feel like I was in, in um, danger of losing my job or anything like that, um, that, that I feel like it really wouldn't be my place to speak up and say anything if he's not willing to speak up and say anything, you know, like, yeah, there, yeah. there's a real tension there. And I, I think it, I think it's informed by a couple of things, especially depending on what ages the people involved are, but there was for a long time, there was a strong, let's, let's go along to get along kind of ethos where, you not disrupting things or were you staying quote unquote in your lane was how you survived. And so even when it comes to the black, white binary that people think of as, look, we're doing multicultural worship that that still centers, it's still centered on whiteness. Right. So that mm-hmm. means bring in a, bring in a visible black face, bring in, um, you know, just these very acceptable kinds of people because he wouldn't he wouldn't be there if he was going to really call out racism and he wouldn't have been chosen if he was going to challenge the status quo and push it beyond let's just show that we're quote-unquote not racist by having a black pastor or you know a black leader on staff but and and the, the other interesting thing that goes with this is because people feel like they have done the work and you'll see this with interracial relationships, you'll see this in all kinds of spaces because people feel like they've done the work by having these tokens of diversity. They'll like partner up on some other oppression. (laughs) And so instead of it being like, Hey, let's, let's expand, let's grow. It becomes let's pair up so we can keep the power to ourselves. Right. Right. And it is, it is a, it's an ugly thing to, to, to do when I'll be tired of church folks for being transphobic. And then I'll have to turn around and be tired of non of completely secular black folks yep. for being transphobic. And then I'll have to turn around and be tired of gay folks for being transphobic. And I'm like, I'm sick yeah. of all of y'all. <laughs> but yep. it's the, it's the way that power lures us into the idea that if we, uh, if we participate in the oppression of others, that somehow it lessens our own oppression mm-hmm. or it lessens the negative attention. If you're at the top of the, of the, of the, the, the power heap. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a hard tension to manage. Absolutely. And I feel like it's going back to what you were saying. I feel like it's so important to notice how our financial stuff undergirds so much of this. There you go. Like, this is the most financially. This is the most financially stable we've been in a long time. Right. And yeah. I have talked finances with Kevin. He knows I'm still underpaid. Yeah. <laughs> I tell kinda, him all the time. Kind of grossly underpaid. <laughs> but but it's still the most financially stable I've ever been. Yeah. And we are underpaid to make it so that we don't challenge the structures and authority and so forth. I, I can get into a way anti-capitalist yeah. rant. But look at the impact because again, women making less than women. I mean, women making less than men. I can't speak to anyone. Women making less than other women too. That's true. Because white yeah. women still make more than other um, women of other other raced categories. Mm-hmm. Um, that maintains the idea that white women should be complicit and play along, but also don't don't rock the boat too much because you know we can we can knock you back down to go lower. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you spoke about um, 
age mm-hmm. playing a role in that. And, you know, as you were speaking more about that, I'm, I'm wondering if it really has, because um, my senior pastor is like 62 mm-hmm. and the associate pastor is like 56, 57, somewhere in there. Um, so, you know, just thinking about, you know, the time when they were growing up, you know, and what that, that he probably is, you know, just happy, not maybe not happy to, but is, is intentionally keeping the peace as it were, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's something, go ahead. I was going to say there, there is value in, in finding the compassion point. Uh, the point where we see is like, oh, well, this may not be your reason or your story, but I can resonate with why you might do something that's harmful, not to justify, not to make it okay, but to figure out how do we relate better to the people that we may disagree with. Go ahead, Kevin. Well, and I was going to say this, this all kind of reminds me of kind of the, the stereotypical schoolyard bully, where there's the one bully and they're going to pick on the one kid who's new or strange or nerdy or too tall or too short or too fat or too skinny or too redheaded too like you're literally. naming too many of my traumas go ahead so, <laughs> you're too redheaded okay i was redheaded as a kid thank you very much but what? not that okay. that was one of my traumas okay we're going to we're going to move on past that one um this is the oppression olympics and i'm working to win my gold prize <laughs> got it got it okay um but there's always there's always the there's always the trope in Hollywood where there's the one school bully who won't bully the other kids who also bully the one kid, if that makes sense. Um, like I'm thinking I'm thinking of there's there's a specific show I'm thinking of and I can't even remember like the name of the show. But Are you thinking of the way a sibling won't let anybody else pick on their little brother or little sister, but yeah, them? Same thing. Same similar, thing. similar type yeah. of thing. Okay. Yeah, similar type of thing, where this is my person to pick on. Um, but even, honestly, even more than that, where like, if you don't also start, let's say the four of us are here, and I start picking on Darren. Um, if I have a strong enough personality, I also expect for Sarah and Eric, for the both of you to pick on Darren. And if the two of you don't pick on Darren, then I'm going to pick on you too. And so if you don't join in on, on beating Darren up, then I'm going to beat you up right as soon as I'm done with him. Um, and so that's, that's more the mentality. Sorry. Just trying to figure out how to put that into words. Validate me or pay the price. Exactly. Exactly. And it's the same sort of mentality that we see, unfortunately, in church around us. Um, I I mean, I just got done writing about one particular experience that I had at my last church where that was almost literally the the senior pastor's mentality was if was was validate me or pay the price. And that could mean in a thousand a thousand different things. Eventually, it meant my job because I got tired of validating him. Um, I wonder what, how do we, how do we begin to move past that? And this one is kind of for the whole group here. How do we begin to move past that line of thinking 
where, yes, our jobs might be on the line or our reputations might be on the line. Um, I know at least a few of our listeners are are part of denominations that are non-affirming and they cannot vocally be affirming. So how do we begin to make space to be egalitarian or to be affirming or honestly to just show love? My, my wife said something to me earlier. She said, Christians are called to love because God is love and perfect love casts out fear. Therefore, if we are loving well, there's no space for homophobia or transphobia or, or sexism or racism. And so how do, we, how do we begin to walk towards that place where you might be calling for validation or I'm going to pay the price, but it's okay if I pay the price. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to give, give some, some nuance and con, con, context to some of this too, because sometimes the, in the work that I do, and I'll, I'll just speak for myself in the work that I do, I don't actually quote unquote demand that everyone arrive at full affirmation and by that because I don't think we've necessarily defined it um full affirmation of performing same-sex weddings or blessing uh families that have same-sex parents something like that those are usually kind of the the mile markers that most people get stuck on when it comes to working through their theology as it relates to gender and sexual minorities but there's a lot of steps in between um, before you even get there, or if you ever go there, um, when we talk about the, the the imago dei or the image and likeness of God in every one, that also means just affirming that affirming their humanity, affirming that LGBTQ people need a place to live, and that's not automatically protected in our society. They need to be able to be raised by their parents and not be tossed on the street. That's also something that's not protected and often fueled by things that happen in church where minors are kicked out. Um, we need to know that uh, we're not gonna be killed simply for who we are. Um, we need to know that God isn't like sitting on a cloud somewhere with a lightning bolt just waiting to strike us down or pull the rug from under us and all of a sudden the gates of hell open up and we fall through. That Those kind of messages are also part of what harms LGBTQ people far more than you won't perform my wedding. Because even if you don't perform a wedding, sometimes people just ask you to show up for them just to show that you care, show that you'll be there. You don't have to bless them. You don't have to give them a gift, but they just want to know that you care about them more than you care about being right. And I'll, I'll say this little story from today and, and, and I'll, I'd love to hear your, your other thoughts, but I, uh, I am right now in the midst of processing how I was hurt by my previous churches that are non-affirming, but the hurt wasn't because they didn't, they weren't affirming of same-sex marriage. The hurt was all the things I endured in them tripping over themselves to make sure that they upheld some obscure and abstract piety about how I should be able to engage in the church. I never asked them to affirm same-sex relationships. I just asked them to let me sing a song on the stage, and they made restrictions around that. Um, and like you were saying earlier, Eric, when 
when it came down to leadership, picking and choosing who could do what and what that would look like, it was the silence of some people that really was the harmful thing. So that was part of why I asked what, how did, how did she respond when she was, you know, removed? And it had this huge detrimental effect. And the church has this long wake of hurting people and no one pays attention because, you know, like you said, if the, if the theology says they were never saved in the first place, then you're never responsible for how many people you've wounded and, and right. caused to, to go away. But um, I, I, I had a moment today where somebody who was a part of that church let me know that they have, they have become affirming or they, I should, I should be more specific. They have come to the place where they don't have any more objections. They're just trying to figure out the theology. And I think that was the key point. It wasn't so much, I need to be able to prove this in scripture as much as his relationship with me, let him know that there were things he was believing that came from what he heard and, and what was passed around growing up that he was like, I'm supposed to be out here preaching the good news. And I know some things that I believe are not good news to you. How can I call that good news? And it's not good news to this person I know and love and do ministry with. There we go. Um, and so to be thinking about what are the relationships where you're able to stand up, to be thinking about what are the places where someone maybe can't afford to do their own advocacy. I'm a trained grassroots community organizer. I speak a lot on my own behalf, but I'm tired as hell right now. <laughs> and for other people to speak up for me and on my behalf is sometimes the most important thing in the world. Yeah. So tossing it back from Kevin's original question to Eric, to Sarah, even for Kevin to, to respond back, like how, how can we show up and walk with people? How can we, um, be there with people again, not assuming that performing a same-sex wedding is the is the ask or the demand. Well, and as you were speaking, I guess some things clicked in my head that I've thought before, but but I guess where I have the point where I have reached is that regardless of whether I believe or anyone believes that homosexuality is a sin, whether it is or it isn't. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying whether you believe it is or it isn't. Why is that any different than any sin that I do any other time of the day? There it is. And, and that, that, that we just accept that, you know, that we are sinners and that, and, you know, and, and I know that this goes even deeper um, than that. But if we can't at least get to that point where we are saying, okay, it, it, it doesn't change how we treat someone as a human being, you know, um, that, uh, um, you know, if it's, if it's having, um, a, a, a gay couple having, adopting a child or, or having a wedding or anything like that, you know, the committed loving relationship is, is more important to me than, than who the parties are involved in it, you know? Um, and as, as you were speaking of, of not being allowed to sing a song on stage, 
it reminded me of a time when I had to, I had had somebody coming to, to sing on that stage with me. And then I found out that he was gay. And I made it, not even from my leadership, I made the decision to, to, to speak to him and, and tell him he couldn't sing. Actually, I had his mother who was on my team tell him that he couldn't sing the song because I didn't have the balls to say it myself. Perfectly honest. Um, and I don't have any connection with him now. You know, I don't, I, I can't make restitution for that or anything like that or, or um, speak to him with that. But um, we need to just love people and, and not focus so much on the things that make them different from us but that each and every one of these people is a child of God and they, and it's not my responsibility to decide how Jesus feels about them, but yeah. just have the love that, that, that Jesus shares for me flow out of me and into them. Love wins. <laughs> and it's, it's as I'm hearing, you know, you guys all talk and just my thoughts on, you know, how can we get to this place or, you know, people who are questioning um, different aspects of, of what we've talked about and whether you're affirming or not affirming empathy doesn't require you to agree with someone like empathy is just how you can get beyond yourself and see somebody else's lens see their hurt, see their pain, hear their story. We talked about this a lot in the couple, you know, in our beginning episodes, but the more you can just put yourself aside and listen to somebody else's experience, listen to their hurt, listen to their pain, um, as they, you know, are comfortable sharing that you don't always have to agree with everything right away to be able to just hold space for them and to show them that love that we all should be showing. Sometimes I think we get so stuck on, well, the Bible says, but what about love? What about empathy? Like empathy is the most, I feel one of the very most important parts of how we can just love each other and show up for each other, regardless of whether we believe or agree or whatever. Yeah, empathy is a biblical value. Yeah. 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 And the Bible may say that, but it also says this over here at the same time. It's saying, yeah. Yep. It requires vulnerability. And I think that makes people uncomfortable to have to sit with, you know, allowing someone's, you know, feelings and whatever they're saying to give them space without always responding. It doesn't mean you have to challenge or why I don't agree. Why I don't sometimes just listening to somebody makes all the difference. Absolutely. And Eric, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. The Bible might say that in this part right here, but it also says this other thing in this other part over here. Um, part of my entire, I call it deconstruction journey, has been deconstruction, reconstruction uh, journey, has been looking at that original language and seeing what Paul actually meant when he used certain words and what Leviticus was actually talking about when uh, the writer of Leviticus used certain words. Um, and more than anything, what I've come to discover is that it's not straightforward. 
it's not um, just as written on the page. And every biblical scholar worth their salt that isn't trying to sell you something will admit that and say that, well, as we see this on the page, we also have to consider the culture around it. We have to consider the time that it was written. We have to consider the history behind it and really look at why it was that in Leviticus, the the writer of the law doesn't say man lay with man. The writer of the law says man laying with male beast is actually what that particular verse in Leviticus 18 says. Or like when Paul says um, that, I think the King James says, I do not suffer homosexuals is what the the popular translation says. Paul's actually saying, don't allow pedophiles to hold office in your church. Um, and those are, it's, it's hard to be vulnerable to just accept the fact that, hey, we've been taught in a lot of cases, I think, incorrectly for a long time. Um, whatever side of the equation that might be. And so there's there's that that I want to point out first. But also, I, I keep coming back to, and and I'll, I'll throw it out in uh, on Facebook groups or on Twitter or whatever from time to time, that when the apostles, when, when Jesus sent out the apostles, the 70 apostles, and they came back saying, there were people uh, preaching in your name and doing miracles in your name, and we told them to stop because they weren't with us. Jesus rebukes his disciples and says, but they were doing things in my name. They were still performing miracles. They were still preaching the good news in my name. You shouldn't have stopped them. And then Paul, when when talking of, about people who are stealing from the church, who are uh, preaching for their own selfish gain, who are actively trying to, to take money and use their power and influence to get more money and power and influence, Paul says, I still rejoice because they're still preaching the gospel. And we've got these two different, uh, very different uh, examples here. And honestly, at the end of the day, I have seen, I have never seen a single person, I think I've said this before, I've never seen a single person leave Christianity because they came across a a woman who's a pastor or queer clergy. I've seen people leave churches and say, well, if we're going to hire uh, a gay man to to pastor our church, I'm going to go to another church. I've seen that plenty. I mean, you, you could throw a rock and hit a dozen people who have done that. But I have seen dozens and dozens and dozens of women and queer folk who just say, you know what? I still love Jesus, but I'm never walking back into a church. Mm-hmm. Or worse yet, I don't, if, if this is what uh, the, the followers of Jesus are like, I don't want to follow Jesus. And that yeah. breaks my heart. Because how much harm are we doing by, like y'all said, just not holding space for people? You know, Darren, I... I'm so thankful that you pointed out nobody's asking to perform weddings. Nobody's asking 
I think if I could summarize it in a single sentence, nobody's asking anybody to do something that they're not comfortable with. We're all, and I'm throwing myself into this as a member of the clergy, as a cishet member of the clergy, we're all just asking, hey, hold space for people and love others well. That's what Jesus called us to do, not to have the entire Bible memorized, not to have everything figured out by the time we we get our Master of Divinity and we're on to our, our doctorate of philosophy and Christian thought. Like, nope, God doesn't want that. God doesn't care. God just wants us to love others and love the people around us and and show that love, show that empathy to everybody that we encounter. And that's the most important thing. No, we are Christians by our love. Amen I want to, and, and one of the things that is most important in this journey for anyone is if you are feeling trepidation for any of these topics that we've talked about, talk to somebody on the other side of the coin. <laughs> you know, um, as I talked about about Tandy being one of the the, the strongest people for me in my in my change from complementarianism to egalitarianism. Darren has been one of the biggest uh, oh my influences. Influences. Thank you. Darren has been one of the biggest influences in my life in in just seeing how something that I did not know could exist before, but seeing how someone could be gay and a practicing strong Christian at the same time. That was mind-blowing to me at, at one point in my life. Talk to people, get to know people, have conversations with people. You can't do it from the sideline. You just can't. Yeah. Go ahead, sir. I just I was agreeing. That was good. Um I want to as as we as we wrap up, I do want to make some technical notes. Um, this conversation can be very hard to hear for people who are queer themselves. Um, my my story is my own. Other people have different needs, different routes, different things that they're comfortable with. And one of the things I'm I'm really coming to understand deeply is that uh, conversations like these do center on the needs of heterosexual, cisgender identified folks. And so if you are queer or if you are somebody who um, is uh, questioning or who um, is somewhere in the gender expansive uh, spectrum, to know that, uh, that you are loved, that you are cared for, that um, your thoughts, your convictions, your Holy Spirit, all of that is, is valid and real and important. Um, but like to, to find, to seek out the places that really can center you and the things that you need to hear. Um, and I, I'll, I'll definitely drop some, some links and some resources like Q Christian Fellowship um, and the Reformation Project. But I, I want to like also like note as an illustration, not to pick on you, but um, I often find that straight people have to come to the conversation or, or feel the need to come to the conversation. It's like, well, your sin is no different than mine. And 
that'll be really important for you as that building block. But for queer people, it doesn't hit the same. Um, It often hits as, oh, well, you're bad too. And my sexuality isn't bad. Whether, again, whether or not I decide to be in a relationship, whether or not I, I pursue celibacy, the fact that I have an orientation that's different than yours isn't bad per se. But again, we get we get so much tossed onto us. And so it just doesn't necessarily fall on our ears the same way. Right. And again, we're not a monolith. Um, so some people are asking for marriage. Some people are asking you to like, you know, love their their partner, their spouse. Um, some people are are looking to change the rules and the laws of the church and the land. And that's valid. Um, but the fear that many people have is that to say, I love my gay kid means I have to like do a thousand and one other things. And they're like, no, you just need to love your kid. Like that's, that's the ask. Um, and so, yeah, just to, to, to say like, this is hard. This is difficult (laughs) to say, this is hard. This is difficult. And when, um, when you're trying to figure it out, there's resources. So uh, like I said, the Reformation Project has some really good, if you need to dig into the theology, Reformation Project has deep work on that. If you if you just want to see like, what are different ways that people express this? Some people do remain celibate. Some people do become married. Uh, Q Christian Fellowship has resources on that. Um, and then a thing we didn't talk about, we're probably doing a future episode. Uh, some people try to become heterosexual as a result of what churches say and do and what they've experienced in families and in communities. Um, and to that, um, I would point people to the Good Fruit Project. It's a partnership we have that Q Christian Fellowship has with uh, the Trevor Project that um, is asking people to look at what is the fruit or what comes from people trying to change their sexual orientation, as well as uh, what the Bible does say about this. Um, so it is scriptural, it is scientific, it is a social observation. There's a lot of important info in there. And then lastly, if you are queer, if you're you have a child who's queer and um and are not doing well with life and um this is hurting and you're not sure what to do, uh the Trevor Project uh has 24-hour resources. Um, just Google that and they can talk to you anonymously or they can talk to you in confidence and get the support that you need. Um, I, I'm friends with a, a few people over there and they are there 24 hours a day. There's somebody who's ready to listen. So in all that, you don't have to walk this alone. Uh, no matter where you are, gay, straight, uh, in between by pan. Uh, if you've never known what any of LGBTQ means, or if you are a radical leftist who is who is fighting for the end of labels altogether, and we can all just be who we are, you matter and you belong, and we love you. Uh, so, yeah, that's my soapbox for today. I love it. Thank you so much for. It's a really good reminder. So thank you. Um, Eric, with with the last 30 seconds, 45 seconds, minute, um, I want you to take a moment to to brag about yourself. Tell us what it is uh, you're doing in your church because you are doing a lot. You are doing a lot. He's he's making a face right now, <laughs> folks. He's like, I don't do anything. I think there's um, some blushing involved, too. 
Absolutely. I, um, I'm exhausted right now. <laughs> I'm exhausted so right now. Um, because I have also been, I, I've had to step in to, to serve as the worship leader for the contemporary campus for the last five weeks. And I got this week and next week going as well, um, on top of, you know, navigating, doing in-person, uh, uh, youth services and still recording weekly, uh, messages and social media stuff for my teens who are not yet ready to come back. Um, and, uh, I am also technically over children as well. So working with my kids, men in um, um, trying to get stuff like egg hunts and, and now we're starting to talk about VBS and everything, uh, off the ground and seeing if we can even pull that off. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I am trying to do it all and increase or uh, upgrade our, our video streaming services as well. And, um, part of the problem in being a, a decade person at a small country church means that you did and learned everything. And so my skill set is wide, maybe not be all that deep in any one particular thing, but it is very wide. And uh, so I got my hand in about everything other than preaching on Sunday morning at the main service. <laughs> so Eric is a busy guy and, uh, Seriously, though, thank you for uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for being vulnerable and open and honest about where you're at. Um, like I said, we've all got we've all got growing to do. We've all got learning to do, and uh, even just doing this is is a huge step. I know for for a lot of folks. Um, if you're listening, you might have also noticed that that we've got a voice missing. Stacy is. Uh, not here with us right now, of course, as you might have guessed already. Um, she had some other stuff going on tonight, uh, the night of recording, but we uh, rest assured that she will be back next week. Um, she just had some life stuff happen tonight. So, hey, uh, all the resources that Darren mentioned are going to be down in the notes, in the show notes. So be sure to check them out. Uh, be sure to also check out our our email address if you, you know, actually want somebody that you're a little more familiar with uh, to talk to. We are here um, to talk to you. We're here to take any questions, any suggestions, uh, what have you. Um, and also be sure to follow us on on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are on there all the time, um, and all of our uh, accounts and everything are listed down below. So be sure to follow us, uh, share this podcast rate of five stars. If you're on Apple or Stitcher or Google, uh, be sure to send it to your friends, post it on social media. That is the biggest compliment that we could get. Um, and also a huge help to us as we continue expanding our, our listenership. So anyway, that's the show for today, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. I don't appreciate the shade, but yes. Yes, um, you do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. It's fine. Um, all right. <laughs>